Welcome back, everybody, to Semiconductor Investing and More, the number one semiconductor podcast in the world. Like always, I'm joined by an amazing co-host, Nick. Good morning, Nick. How's it going? Hey, I am great, Jose. How about yourself? Pretty good. As you can see, I'm a little bit off off my normal studio today. I'm in vacation, but the semiconductor show needs to keep going. So thank you for joining me on this random time. Uh, and uh, hopefully my wife isn't too mad that I was able to take a few hours to, to kind of get this episode started. <laughs> She's a secret subscriber, I think. She loves it. <laughs> yeah, she, she wants to hear the content that we're about to drop. Uh, so Nick, today we got some awesome topics. We're going to take a closer look at some CES events that we didn't get to touch uh, last week. We also got some updates in Apple. They're kind of entering a little bit more in the chip business and certain chip companies are might be afraid. So we're going to discuss that a little bit more. Um, and also just a little bit more about data center solutions. So I'm super excited about today's episode. I know you're going to start off with topic number one, Nick, where we're going to take a closer look at that Apple news uh, and so certain investors be worried. So I'll pass it your way. Okay. Yeah, this, this, was, this was big news that hit uh, early in the week. There was a Bloomberg report that claims that Apple is designing its own 5G and Wi-Fi chips and would like to cut out Broadcom, its supplier Broadcom, by as early as 2025. So from the 2025 smart, uh, iPhone models. Uh, this is this is interesting news, Jose, not just because we've been talking about Broadcom a lot in recent weeks. I think a lot of investors have caught on to Broadcom as a solid dividend stock. But it's also interesting because, as, as many listeners probably are already aware of, Apple has also been working on cutting Qualcomm out of the mix for the last couple of years. So now... Also, they want to get rid of Broadcom as as a as an iPhone supplier. So obviously, Broadcom investors were a bit worried. Uh, I will just show this first slide here that I think we've now used a few times. And uh, Jose, I promise this is the last time I will use this visual <laughs> for Broadcom, but I think it's helpful in context here. So this is Broadcom's sales segments. And you can see the fourth line down is wireless. Just in the fourth quarter of 2022 alone, wireless was $2.1 billion worth in sales for Broadcom. So a little bit more than 20% of their total overall revenue. Uh, and it is, it is still a growth market for Broadcom. Uh, that segment was up 13% year over year. Um, and they're expecting it to continue to grow by a single digit pace, single digit percentage pace in the first quarter of their 2023. So maybe I'll just pause here for a moment, Jose, and, and just ask you, based on that information alone, would you be worried if you were a Broadcom shareholder? Um, so a little, a little bit yes, a little bit no, right, Nick? I mean, taking a, a closer look at this slide, right, which kind of breaks down, we can see the wireless market um, is definitely an important portion uh, compared for for the company's total revenue, it looks like it's somewhere around twenty uh, twenty percent of total revenue. So it's definitely an interesting market, something that kind of that has some movement. The but it, it we do see that Broadcom is kind of 
also exposing itself into other markets that are growing at a faster rate. And we take a closer look at those kind of quarterly on um, quarter one, 2023 expectations. We saw, we see some of those other markets growing at a faster level. So obviously something to kind of be aware of. Um, I, I want to say it's a little bit, I don't know if they're a little bit worse than the yellow flag, but maybe not completely a red flag just yet. So maybe somewhere in the or, 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 orange line, if that's what red and yellow make. Um, I, I I do have a question for you, Nick. Um, sure. Before we go any further, make sure to hit the thumbs up as it does help us grow our overall audience. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and let's take a quick listen to today's sponsor. I do want to thank The Motley Fool for sponsoring this video and make sure to check out fool.com slash Jose to get the top 10 stocks to buy right now. Also, if you want to learn more about Nick, make sure to check out his YouTube channel. The link is down below. I, I know Apple, right, has, when we think about Apple and kind of creating their own chips, the first company we think of is Intel. Right, how Apple kind of created yeah. the, those M1 chips, and kind of, um, I guess Apple didn't think their the products that they were providing Intel was providing were enough for them. Do you think this is what's happening with Broadcom? Do you think Apple is, is thinking like, hey, the Broadcom is not going as fast as we intend, and we have to kind of create our own chips instead? That's that's an excellent question. So. You know, Apple, ever since Intel basically took a pass on developing the processor for the iPhone, like well over a decade ago now, like this is a story from like the 2000s, the mid, early, early 2000s, um, Apple has been basically designing its own processors for the iPhone. And then later on, like you said, the M series chip for the MacBook. And I think, you know, Jose, you talk a lot about this. You really like talking about those chip companies that design those really, those really sexy high tech processors because it's like the it's the it's the brain of of the device, right? It's it's the most critical component that you build the rest of your device around. Um, so I think Apple designing its own processors is purely about performance and it wants to control the performance. Some of these other more ancillary chips, I mean, I say ancillary and maybe that's not the right word because connectivity is absolutely not ancillary to a smartphone. It's, it's a critical piece of the puzzle, but I, I don't know that, that it's a matter of Broadcom not moving fast enough as much as Apple is now at this point, not a super high growth business anymore. And they're looking for ways to save money and they can see Broadcom's financials as much as we can. And they probably see 50% free cash flow profit margins at Broadcom and think we could, we could do some things with, with an extra, you know, few hundred million or maybe a billion dollars uh, in, in free cash flow free cash flow every year. So I think that's what it is. I think these stories keep coming out about Apple cutting out Qualcomm, maybe cutting out Broadcom because they want to save money. Yeah. You know, Nick, I think this is so funny because I, I do believe a few episodes ago, we kind of discussed how maybe you in, in the high tech world, we are seeing these high tech companies focus on these advanced chips, but we weren't too kind of sure if, or, or, or we weren't too, 
we weren't leaning that they were also going to be focusing on maybe, like you mentioned, right, those boring chips. Maybe the connectivity is not too boring in itself, right? There has to do a lot with kind of 5G and every other type of connection. Uh, so it might be a little bit more advanced than some of your other more mature chips. Um, mm. But it does kind of now have us thinking what other types of chips outside of the advanced chips are these kind of big tech giants also going to start to focus on? Yeah, it's it's a really valid concern. Um, I, I also own Skyworks Solutions, which is also an Apple supplier. And it's even more critical to Skyworks Solutions. They, they get like 58% of their revenue last year from supplying Apple. So you can imagine how devastating it would be for Skyworks Solutions shareholders if Apple pulled the same thing and said, hey, you know what? We're going to start designing our own our own connectivity chips to replace Skyworks. Um, obviously, Qualcomm and Broadcom can kind of take, they can absorb that hit a little bit more because they're more diversified. But some of these suppliers, not so much. Um, it could be devastating to their business. Definitely, Nick. And before we kind of move on to the next topic, um, I, I know you asked me how I would consider this, uh, how much of a risk maybe I would consider this to Broadcom, um, but I know you follow the company a lot more. I'm pretty sure you are an investor, correct? I think you are an investor of mm -hmm. Broadcom. How, how do you see how, how do you see this news, Nick, and more of like an actual investor point of view? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because I I will say this: this is most definitely a yellow flag for me. I don't want Broadcom to lose that business, but I did take exception to some of the things that were in the other subsequent reports about this news item. Broadcom's wireless business is not 100% Apple. Uh, we don't know how much of that 2.1 billion in sales is Apple. Broadcom, Broadcom has other wireless customers as well. So it's not like if, if Apple is successful in designing those chips, 100% of Broadcom's wireless business just goes up in smoke. Also, we don't know which chips specifically Apple is trying to design itself. Broadcom designs a lot of 5G and Wi-Fi chips. So I do have this one other slide that just kind of shows these, it's called a front end module. There's, you can see from the picture here, there's multiple smaller components that make these things up. Is Apple trying to replace the whole thing? Is it a specific component? Um, and it, you know, then there's also the Qualcomm part of the equation too. Like we know that Apple is working on specifically the 5G modem. That's a very specific part. Which specific Broadcom part is Apple interested in designing itself? We don't know. We don't know if it's all of Qualcomm's parts or if it's just maybe one or two specific pieces that Apple's trying to design. So it's a yellow flag. And Nick, I'm glad I asked that question because I, I feel like earlier in this episode, I mentioned how more, maybe this was more of an orange flag. You mentioned some great points, right? There's multiple chips that go in here. Apple is not the only customer for for Broadcom here in this space. It doesn't mean 100% of their revenue, if it does happen, will kind of be affected by it. And then this is not expected to go till 2025. That's maybe production. Mm. But then it, it probably won't be a complete cutoff from there. So uh, I, I agree with you, Nick. I think this is more of, of maybe not the orange, how I, I mentioned earlier. I think this is more of like a yellow flag, something to keep an eye out and see how it evolves over time. So thank you for that, Nick. All right, Nick. So I think that's great for topic one. And I, I, that was a great topic one, in my opinion. I feel like it really got the, the brain flowing. So I'm super excited. Um, topic number two. Oh, it's is, fun is, to start off with controversy. Oh, sorry. 
Definitely, Nick. Um, and, and now for topic number two, we're going to take a closer look at, at a more of a popular base uh, company here, one of those kind of high-tech uh, processor companies, Advanced Micro Device, AMD. They did, pre- uh, did, a, they did do a show during CES. Uh, unfortunately, last week we recorded our episode prior to that um, to that kind of live stream and keynote, so we were unable to discuss AMD. I know we talked about Intel in that episode, and I believe we talked about NVIDIA CES. So for those that uh, want to know a little bit more about the, the, that's those CES products, make sure to check out last week's episode. So so here, Nick, I just want to showcase a little bit of what AMD kind of pro, uh, showed to the public here. Again, the mm-hmm. CES events or trade show is more for consumer-based uh, products, right? So we're going to hear a little bit more about processors for the consumer market. But what really was interesting, Nick, is AMD took this time on screen to explain a little bit more of their data sensor solutions. And, and those were pretty fun, and I, I want to explain a little bit more about them. So if we take a closer look at the first slide, uh, it just shows a variety of Ryzen processors that AMD announced. Uh, they announced, for example, the laptop version of their 7000 series. Uh, so again, uh, this upcoming quarter and next quarter, I believe, are going to be some great, uh, great quarters for consumers that want to get some nice high-performance laptops with the great GPUs and CPUs we've kind of seen around right now. They also kind of announced a little bit more processors for the desktop market. For example, this, uh, their, X, uh, their X3D line, which includes 3DV cache technology, which is kind of their higher tier products for those that want to pay maybe a premium and have the best of the best. So I want to say in the consumer side, Nick, nothing, especially in the processor side, nothing too crazy, right? This is something that mm-hmm. most semiconductor companies do on a yearly basis or every other year uh, where they just release new processors uh, to kind of co- be against the competition. Now, I, on, I, I do want to go to a question here, Nick. Um, AMD was kind of comparing their Ryzen 7040 series, which is their processors for the laptop market. And it's, it's supposed to be their, one of their high-end processors here. When they were kind of comparing benchmarks, they were not only comparing it against Intel, but they also are comparing it to Apple M2. And I think this is hmm. insane. I, I feel like it makes it seem like even AMD... Um, even though iPhone, it's uh, uh, Apple is mainly known for its iPhone products, it's pretty impressive that a semiconductor company is kind of using benchmarks to show that hey, we're better, uh, we're better than than even Apple. Um, would you see this as maybe Apple even being some form of threat for semiconductor companies? Before we go any further, make sure to hit the thumbs up as it does help us grow our overall audience. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and let's take a quick listen to today's sponsor. I do want to thank The Motley Fool for sponsoring this video and make sure to check out fool.com slash Jose to get the top 10 stocks to buy right now. Also, if you want to learn more about Nick, make sure to check out his YouTube channel. The link is down below. Yeah, unfortunately, yes, um, those, those M-series chips were a game changer. Um, I think Apple customers kind of just assumed that they would be a game changer before they even heard about the M series. Um, but for like the rest of the world that maybe doesn't use an Apple product, those M series chips came out and it was kind of a, uh, whoa type of moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, because for, for many years, Jose, remember like the argument still to this day kind of goes that, you know, arm based processors are cool. 
They're great for like mobile applications, but they're not as powerful as x86. And I think the M series chip has kind of proved, hey, that's not the case. Um, ARM ARM based designs just needed time to get developed and catch up, but actually the uh, the performance and the actual end user experience can be much cleaner uh, and much more tightly integrated with the software than an old, really kind of archaic at this point, x86 architecture. So I think absolutely AMD would want to benchmark and show off the performance against the M series chip. And um, I think as you're going to get into a little bit later, I think we're going to start seeing some more ARM designs from companies like AMD as time goes on. Yeah, definitely, Nick. And I, I want to say I'm not an Apple investor, but I do want to say if, if I was an Apple investor, I feel like AMD putting a benchmark off my company is more like AMD saying, yes, your competition kind of just like not like a pat in the back, but it just kind of reinforces that that strength from the company. Uh, so definitely Absolutely. pretty cool there. Um, next, Nick, there was another product that a product that they announced um, that I thought was super cool was AMD's Ryzen AI. Um, so here in this slide, I, I kind of took it from, from their presentation. And if you take a closer look at the bottom right of this processor, a, uh, AMD mentions that they're going to have a dedicated AI engine. And this is going to be of its own kind of dedicated processor to some extent for certain AI applications and workloads. Uh, so it's going to help reduce stress of certain workloads from the CPUs or GPUs, wherever they're going to end up using it. Obviously, if you end up reducing stress uh, from certain workloads, you're doing the following. You're improving performance because now that CPU or processor doesn't have to do that other task that it was probably not doing, not so efficient at doing it. The second thing is it's also going to help with power efficiency. So this is pretty cool. Um, they did mention some use cases coming up in, in the market this this upcoming, uh, when they release some of these laptops uh, this quarter. One of the use cases, Nick, will be how um, we talked about NVIDIA broadcast a few weeks ago, how a, uh, mm -hmm. a person recording can kind of blur their background. They can do a lot of kind of um, random stuff using the power of AI. AMD Ryzen is saying with their kind of adding their Ryzen AI hardware to these x86 processors they're going to be able to do things like that as well and as kind of the market evolves now they have kind of a processor where if new solutions come out then they're going to be able to kind of also include them uh, on their processor side so um i don't think it's anything that would overall change the stock price or be like hey amd is a true winner from here but i do believe these small kind of chip performance boost uh can kind of overall help consumers maybe choose their product opposed to maybe some of their competitors. Yeah. I actually have a question for you on this, Jose. Uh, this little dedicated AI processor, this little mini, mini AI engine on the CPU, is it just for the laptop series or is it also on some of the refresh chips for the, the uh, desktop CPUs as uh well? From from what I understood, uh, Nick, I, I think it's right now it being integrated into their laptops um, processors. Mm -hmm. I think that's where they because that's when they mentioned it. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're also going to start implementing it into their desktop players as well. Because uh, I know when they kind of discussed it in the CES, it was during the kind of the whole laptop um, portion of it. 
Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually, if it doesn't, um, if it hits the desktop market, and I wouldn't be surprised either if they start integrating it into their GPUs later on um, as mm. well, because AMD has done really well at packaging, So, or even their FPGAs or other kind of accelerators from... Actually, they do mention it later on that they are putting it in some of their FPGA. So I think their packaging technology is pretty good that if they haven't announced it yet, it's going to be pretty soon that they're going to start announcing this in other processors as well. Interesting. So so next, Nick, they did talk a little bit about the consumer GPU market. Nothing crazy here. It's just more, hey, earlier this year they released um, GPUs for the consumer discrete desktop market. Now they're just kind of releasing it to the laptop market. Um, nothing crazy here. Again, just kind of a refresh or something they have to do every year. So now the, the juicy stuff, Nick. We're going to take a closer look at their data center solutions. And yeah. they mentioned two main products. First they mentioned was the AMD Instinct MI300. And this is going to be a data center GPU and CPU all together. And the next segment we're going to do is we're going to break it down a little bit more about competition. But in theory, if, if you have an, a CPU and a GPU kind of together in one way or another, they're able to talk a lot quicker to each other. So overall, it makes them more power efficiency and more performance efficient as well, right? Because now they're – in theory, they're like – it's like instead of sending a mail to someone who lives across the country, you can kind of just talk to them next door and it's something you're, you're able to communicate a lot faster and get a lot more mm-hmm. stuff done at a, at a faster rate. Uh, so the MI 300 is super interesting. They do mention that it's coming on the second half of 2023. The second Nick that they mention is AMD avail V70. And this is an AI inference inference accelerator. And this is based off their Silence acquisition, I think, again, this kind of shows the strength of this acquisition that they've done and how how well it's doing for the overall company. If you take a closer look, Nick, on the bottom left, they do mention AMD XDNA AI engine. So even on this Mm -hmm. one, they are including that AI kind of dedicated uh, solution uh, to it. So so pretty interesting there. Um, Just kind of following down to the next slide, I just want to take a closer look. Like I mentioned, the perks of the MI300 it's just that having a CPU and a GPU connected together can speed up performance dramatically. Um, obviously, there's some pros and cons. Some of the cons, for example, are if you have a CPU and a GPU, maybe you might not have as many cores as you normally would have if you have them individually. Uh, so obviously, maybe a, a individual CPU might have more cores, better performance for larger tasks. But again, there are going to be use cases where maybe you just want that pure performance for and you don't need all that cores in your system. So uh, definitely, I want to say a huge market here. I, this is one I'm super interesting. Uh, I'm interested in for the future. Um, the second, I, I want to explain a little bit about Avail, Nick, um, and, and what are AI inference accelerators? Uh, because sometimes yeah. we might confuse them with, with your typical GPUs, right? Some people might be like, Jose, why, why are, they, are they doing this? Don't they have kind of GPUs? Aren't GPUs also meant to kind of help with AI markets. Um, so, so if we take a closer look at, at, at this last slide I have, Nick, um, I just mentioned how these accelerators are chips that are used to improve certain machine learning tasks for the purpose of making predictions or decisions. And there's numerous ways that one can do this, right? So um, 
NVIDIA actually has a competitor to this. They have the NVIDIA 10T4. And they kind Mm -hmm. of create these accelerators using their GPU kind of architecture. AMD instead decided, hey, we kind of got that silence acquisition. We can kind of do these accelerators with an FPGA model instead. And obviously, there's their pros and cons. You can even go ASIC um, and kind of even go a little bit more programmable um, if you want. I, I honestly couldn't think of anyone who did that, but there's probably some players out there. The other thing, Nick, is these tend to be cheaper than buying a full GPU like an H100 or an MI250. Um, for example, an H100, you can use it for numerous other solutions. So they have a lot more performance. They have a lot more use cases. So they tend to be more expensive. These kind of accelerators, they pretty much are for one certain task, for example, just pretty much machine learning tasks um, and improvements there. And they probably have lower cores, lower performance, but they fit for maybe certain people who just wanted to do that sole purpose. So they tend to be a little bit cheaper. And that's why sometimes we might see that, hey, why are they doing this product? Isn't this exactly like this other product? But there's always use cases here. Um, so so I, I've been rambling too much, Nick, here. I'll pass it your way. Any thoughts here on, on, on kind of these data center uh, solutions that AMD announced? It's... It's, I think, um, what we expected a few weeks ago, Jose, when you were talking about AMD and you did the breakdown on the consumer segment, the PC and uh, laptop side in particular that's been struggling, low profit margins. Uh, The cloud is where the growth is and where the growth is going to be, I think, for the next few years. So as an AMD shareholder, I, I love seeing so much emphasis placed on the cloud right now because I think that's where AMD is going to make the money. Um, And it's still ultimately kind of a consumer market because we interact with cloud apps every day. Um, And I think we still, many investors still underestimate how little penetration the cloud has made into the overall IT industry. Um, I mean, based on like some of the 2023 expectations, like cloud computing is barely just going to cross the 10% of total IT spend in this year. Um, there's a long way to go to like getting these businesses up to date with, you know, remote, remote computing and improving the applications that we interact with via, you know, our phones and our laptops and whatnot. So I, this is, I, I like seeing these updates from AMD and I think they're, they're putting some really, really compelling hardware out there that I think will help them capture, continue to capture market share on this front. Definitely, Nick. Thank you for that. Um, And I think this is going to be a perfect segue for topic number three. Um, We're going to continue here with AMD. Um, I kind of mentioned a little bit about that data sensor solution, the MI300, um, which is a CPU and a GPU combo. And I, This is an amazing product, but I do want to say AMD is not the only one kind of following this suit, right? And it's not the only one that's going to be releasing it. So I do want to say it's important to for investors of either AMD to understand some of the competitors. Uh, So so let's take a closer look at this kind of GPU-CPU combo. So the three main players that everybody knows that are actually doing this are AMD, Intel Corporation, and NVIDIA. And I want to start off with NVIDIA for this one, since we kind of spent a few, a few, uh, a few minutes talking about AMD. So NVIDIA is developing the Grace Hopper Superchip. This is going to be their CPU 
plus GPU combo. NVIDIA mentions that they are designed for artificial intelligence, high-performance computing, cloud, and hyperscale applications. I want to say out of the two, this one's going to be a bit different because the CPU that NVIDIA is doing, Grace, is based on ARM-based architecture versus your traditional x86. And I think this goes pretty well with topic number one, Nick, how we kind of discussed how at the beginning, a lot of people were kind of maybe saying ARM products are good for just power efficiency, but but they might not be that great for performance. And... I think that might not be exactly the case. It just takes time to develop. Uh, and now we're seeing big players like NVIDIA kind of developing these ARM-based chips. So um, I, I want to see how this performance goes. Uh, this is expected to be available in the first half of 2023, Nick. Um, unfortunately, I haven't really heard too much from... That's when they originally uh, mentioned it. But I, I want to say in the past few quarters I had or months, I haven't heard too much from NVIDIA discussing too much about the Grace Hopper Super Chip. So I'm wondering if maybe it might be postponed uh, to a little bit later. I do believe they're going to mm-hmm. have to talk about it during their most their next earnings, especially if they were expecting the first half of 2023. Um, any thoughts here, Nick? Have you heard um, about their release date, if there have been any changes from, from their original thought process? No, uh, I, I'm in the same boat as you. I feel like it's gone a little bit quiet, uh, and that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it maybe possibly being delayed. Um so yeah, if that is the case, you're right. I think uh, I think we'll probably get some updates during the next quarterly the next quarterly report. Before we go any further, make sure to hit the thumbs up as it does help us grow our overall audience. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and let's take a quick listen to today's sponsor. I do want to thank The Motley Fool for sponsoring this video and make sure to check out fool.com slash Jose to get the top 10 stocks to buy right now. Also, if you want to learn more about Nick, make sure to check out his YouTube channel. The link is down below. So next, I want to move to the second slide and I'm not going to get too techy here, uh, but I just I, I do want to say there is... Even though all these companies are doing a CPU and GPU combo, they're doing it a little bit different. So here, uh, I, I kind of have the logical overview of this kind of Grace Hopper super chip. And you can see the, ch- the Grace CPU to your left, the Hopper GPU to your right. NVIDIA has this custom interconnect, uh, which is kind of a bridge meant for, for kind of high-speed high connection, right? So that's how NVIDIA is kind of going to allow these two chips to kind of talk with e- within each other. Then they're also going to be putting some form of software design to make the chips look like one to the system. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I want to say this isn't your, this isn't true connection, right? It's not truly two chips in one um, because there is this kind of custom co- connection. Um, if we take a closer look, we can also see that both the gray CPU and the hopper GPU, if you look at top of the, uh, on top of them, in the blue and orange or the, or the bottom, uh, they kind of have their own memory. So they have, an, uh, they're, they're kind of discussing their own products within their own selves. And then if they need to talk to each other, they need to talk with this kind of through this NVLink C2C. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, it, NVIDIA says that this is super fast and it's going to be super great for their product. But next, I want to take a closer look at the AMD MI300 APU. So this is very similar. It's going to be a CPU and a GPU combo. AMD mentions that it's designed for AI training, but like anything else, it's most likely going to have other workloads as well. The CPU, 
as we all know, AMD uses the traditional x86 architecture, and it's going to stay with, with that, right? It's going to use uh, a- AMD's Epic server c- CPUs, and they're going to use their uh, MI Instinct uh, GPUs to kind of do this combo. They did mention that this is expected to be available in the second half of 2023. Um, so if NVIDIA is on time, they might be AMD to the cake. But like we both mentioned earlier, Nick, um, I, I do believe maybe NVIDIA might be a little bit late here. Uh, so they might be released around the same time. So this is where the MI300 is super impressive, Nick. Um, and there's no special interconnection that's happening here. The CPU mm-hmm. and the GPU are on a single package sharing the same memory. So it's pretty much kind of like two brains in one. And they say that this is a lot better than that kind of, obviously they're going to fight against each other, but they do say that this is better than any kind of custom interconnect because here you're really at the hardware level having this kind of connectivity, right? It's it's purely at the hardware level. It's kind of made from there uh, in a single package. Uh, so that's the great thing about the MI300. Um, before I kind of take a closer look at Intel's kind of, sort of solution um a- a- any thoughts here nick yeah i this is really interesting to me jose i actually just just yesterday we posted a video on our channel about those interconnects um air test systems which is a, a chip chip fab equipment company talked a lot about that on their last earnings call just last week about those interconnects eventually within the next few years having an optical connection uh, to help further blur the lines between those two different chips and the and the other little pieces that fit into the package, but uh, I think I think you're right. I think it's really interesting that AMD has packaged these CPUs and GPUs together, and it could be a really really positive thing for them. It could be a really great differentiating um, architecture or, or design that they have over over NVIDIA and Intel um, because of that. I think there could be some definite performance uh, benefits because of that. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, definitely, Nick. I I want to see, I think benchmarks are going to be amazing to see when these products release. If I want to say, if this is the first time AMD is kind of doing a, a connection like this, maybe the first generation might not be as strong. And this is what we normally see in the tech world, right? Sometimes we see the first generation is a little bit weaker. And sometimes people kind of throw it throw it under the water, like, oh, it failed. There's no way it's going to do better. But I want to say maybe at the beginning it might look weaker, as obviously NVIDIA has used kind of that NVLink uh, connection for, for numerous generations. I forget what generation they are on already, uh, but it's definitely something they've used in the past um, with improvement technology. So maybe NVIDIA might have a little bit of a, of a head start right now, but I do believe the potential of these kind of single chip units, AMD might have might 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 have more potential there. Might have more room to grow in the future, where maybe mm-hmm. that that interconnect eventually might might meet some form of uh, of hurdle. Um, so definitely something to kind of think about there. Um, so so the final one, <laughs> uh, this one, I'm, I'm not laughing because I, um, I, I. It's not that I don't like the company. I think Intel has has huge kind of. Um, growth opportunities for say uh and, and they're trying to create something as well they're they're calling it intel falcon shores and 
as we know, Intel kind of creates their own processors. They have the Xeon-based processors for the severed market. They have the Arc Alchemist line for their uh, GPU market as well. Uh, so eventually, a, uh, this was during their investor meeting of 2022, they want to create this XPU, which is going to include their CPU and GPU um, in a, into a single socket. Very kind of similar to kind of how AMT um, might be doing it. But they don't mention that this is... This is not expected to come out till 2024, so a full year after AMD's MI300 and a full year after uh, NVIDIA if they do release on time. Um, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, we know Intel in the past hasn't been the greatest with release dates. Uh, for example, the Sapphire Rapids that I believe should have had an event today was supposed to be released numerous quarters ago. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's interesting to see Intel also kind of trying to follow suit. Um, any thoughts here, Nick, on 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 this? Um, just maybe on Intel or, or just all three in general? Uh, well, all three in, in, in general, you know, I think the clear takeaway here is AMD and NVIDIA are going to continue gobbling up all the growth in the data center side of the industry for the foreseeable future. Um, Intel, it's disappointing because this this is like kind of, you'll hear this referred to as like chiplet architecture where you have these smaller chips either interconnected or packaged together. Um, Intel kind of started talking about it years ago before anybody else was. Uh, it's disappointing to see them so far behind getting an actual product to market but it does definitely validate what Pat Gelsinger, the CEO, has been saying. They're behind the curve on the data center market. They're losing market share. This is kind of just validation that that is true. Uh, even though Intel is maybe making some headway again on the, uh, the uh, PC and laptop side, the data center market is where the growth is, unfortunately. And uh, it doesn't look good. Definitely. Thank you for that, Nick. And like I mentioned, Intel just today hosted their um, data center event. So most likely in the upcoming episode, we will discuss what happened there uh, and kind of let you, the viewers, know if there was anything super interesting. Um, So, Nick, I think we can move on to topic number four. Uh, And I want to say in the past few weeks, we have seen a lot of discussions about AI in general. Right. Chat GPT has kind of blown up the Internet. Um, we've seen huge kind of uh, moves from big player kind of investing more money into into that platform. Uh, and I kind of want to talk a little bit about NVIDIA using AI to kind of um, improve their solutions. So if we take a closer look at this slide right here from Tech Power Up uh, that came out on Sunday, January 8th, there are reports that NVIDIA is going to release AI optimized drivers improving overall performance. So for those that maybe not might be uh, familiar, um, when you buy a GPU product or if you buy some kind of product, any kind of hardware product, a, a laptop, every so often companies tend to update these products. They might have found like a bug. They might have need to. They might have found a way to kind of improve performance. And these are usually drivers, right? We see a lot in the gaming world where if a new game comes out, they kind of create new drivers to kind of make sure that game is run perfectly or is improving the overall performance. So that's why sometimes some of these hardwares 
at the beginning in, in maybe their first day and you take a closer look at benchmarks, those benchmarks might not look amazing. But six months later, you might do the same benchmark and those kind of that hardware might be running a lot better because the overall drivers that they have kind of gone through the process to overall improve the performance um, uh, and some of the bugs that may have, that may have, ha may, may have kind of encountered during the time. Uh, so according to CapFrame, NVIDIA is allegedly pre preparing special drivers with optimization done by AI algorithms. Uh, and these kind of improvements will yield about a 10% performance increase uh, with up to 30% in base ca best case scenario. And I, I think this is interesting, Nick, right? Because I feel like sometimes we, when, when we think of AI, we think of maybe AI doing more, I want to say le less tech-heavy jobs, for example, or tech-heavy, uh, I don't know how to say it, tech-heavy tech products. You, like, you probably see uh, expected to do more like manual labor or more repetitive tasks, but you don't kind of see it in the software market. Um, mm -hmm. Any thoughts here, Nick, of, of where you see maybe AI taking over in high-tech companies in the future? Before we go any further, make sure to hit the thumbs up as it does help us grow our overall audience. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and let's take a quick listen to today's sponsor. I do want to thank The Motley Fool for sponsoring this video and make sure to check out fool.com slash Jose to get the top 10 stocks to buy right now. Also, if you want to learn more about Nick, make sure to check out his YouTube channel. The link is down below. Yeah, uh, this is fascinating. Um, one of the use cases that I know is out there for tools like ChatGPT, and honestly, much more exciting a use case than like us just logging in on occasion and asking ChatGPT silly questions or asking it to help us cheat on, you know, writing material or <laughs> preparing a transcript uh, for, for these podcasts. <laughs> One of the more interesting and I think monetizable use cases is writing code or checking for errors. And I think that's basically what NVIDIA is, is doing here. Yeah, it, that's uh, fascinating and, and, to me because mm -hmm. uh, like what it basically does is it frees up the engineer's time to go out and maybe invent new use cases for the hardware and software package and leave some of the more redundant tasks to the AI to handle, like, for example, optimizing the uh, the hardware and software's performance. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I think this is going to be pretty cool for software engineers in the future to be like, hey, I already know what I want my software to do. Here's like a base outline of how I would write this code. Can you kind of make it better? I've already created this base outline. This code kind of does exactly what I need it to do. Can you just make it better, a little bit more performance efficient? Um, and at the end of the day, it, it, like you mentioned, kind of frees up the engineer to kind of go and do a little bit more task out there. So pretty interesting take there, Nick. Um, I, I do want to say this is not the first time um, AI has been used by NVIDIA. Uh, they, they, they've talked about it before. And on our, we, we used to do a podcast before, right, Nick, for, for uh, The Botley Fool, where we had a, a semiconductor show. Um, mm -hmm. And here, we, I think we discussed it there a little bit. But if you take a closer look at the next slide, NVIDIA uses their chips to kind of design um, some of their own chips, uh, their own GPUs. Uh, and one of the great things, for example, here, uh, the, the image, they have an EDA tool, which are tools kind of used for for um, electronic design uh, of chips. And 
they, uh, an engineer created these two, uh, created a chip using these tools. These tools kind of have their own automation system that get, get to help out. But then NVIDIA kind of added some form of deep reinforcement learning algorithm. And that algorithm was able to make the same chip, but 20, 25% smaller. And obviously 25% smaller means it's going to be traveling that communication a lot faster. It's going to be using most likely less energy. Uh, so this is not the first time NVIDIA has used AI to kind of m make their products better. And I don't think it's going to be um, the last. Uh, before I end this kind of take here, Nick, and, and any other thoughts about AI in general, maybe what we're seeing in the overall market right now? Um, yeah, there's just there's already a lot of really exciting things happening behind the scenes. And this kind of stuff is is what keeps me excited about NVIDIA and holding on to my stake, um, even though the stock is at a very steep premium. The company, I think, is poised to be a market leader. I think not just a chip sector leader, but I think an actual market leader for the 2020s. Um, this kind of stuff is, is really exciting, and NVIDIA is really at the forefront of a lot of it, uh, unbeknownst to a lot of people. Thank you for that, Nick. So it seems we're coming up to our last topic, and I feel like these episodes, Nick, go faster and faster each time. Um, <laughs> this one, we're going to take a closer look at chip industry supply chain stocks, right? We, we talk a lot about the semi uh, of your just traditional chip stocks, but there are other kind of companies or, or markets out there that are part of the chip stock without kind of all these fancy technology or, or kind of fancy, um, crazy, crazy tech. Uh, so I know you want to discuss that a little bit here, Nick, so I'll send it your way. Yeah, you actually gave me this idea, Jose, because we were we were prepping this week's episode, and you wanted to talk about data center cooling issues. Uh, and I look forward to that. I don't know if we'll we'll do it next week on the episode, or if you've got an update ready on your channel. Um, but it, it kind of turned on the light bulb on this this list of companies I've been compiling, kind of on my own. And it's sort of rooted in the inflation problem, right? Like everybody else, semiconductor companies are trying to figure out how to do more with less, try to, trying to keep costs in check. And that's where supply chain companies come into the mix. And if you believe inflationary forces are going to stick around for a while, especially for enterprise businesses like chips, I think there's some merits in adding some of these companies to your watch list at the very least, or maybe at the very least getting familiar with what they do. Um, so I, I just put together, here's my watch list as it stands right now. Uh, Lindy, um, industrial gases leader based in Europe. Uh, Air Products is kind of the US-based counterpart to Lindy. Um, I, I have Air Products actually on my buy list one that I'll be dollar cost averaging into more than likely uh, in 2023 at some point. Um, Lindy, I have some reservations about, but air products, interesting. So a lot of the industrial gases that are used in manufacturing chips comes from these companies. Uh, 
dropping below that advanced energy. That's a really small business that supplies equipment um, used again in chip manufacturing. Um, a company very few have heard of, but absolutely instrumental for the semiconductor industry in powering the factories needed to make chips. Uh, these three are not in my portfolio, Lindy Air Products and Advanced Energy, but they might be soon. The second half here are in my portfolio. I have Albemarle. I took a position in Albemarle uh, beginning of 2022, so top lithium producer. So again, this is an adjacent industry or maybe an upstream company, to borrow a term from the energy sector, uh, further away from the consumer, the end user, but absolutely instrumental, right? Like lithium is in all the batteries that power our smartphones, our laptops, lots of other devices. And then Cadence and Synopsys, those are those EDA software tools you just mentioned in the NVIDIA segment, Jose, uh, electronic design automation. There's a whole list of, of functions those software companies provide to companies like NVIDIA, AMD, Intel, you name it, uh, Cadence and Synopsys are probably there helping out. Um, I actually just started a position in both of those companies uh, just last week, uh, a starter position, very, very tiny, again, dollar cost averaging candidate, candidate on these. Um, but it's, it's about supply chain and helping semiconductor companies manage these really, really complex uh, sourcing issues that they have. So I'm curious, Jose, um, are you interested in diversifying your semiconductor portfolio and kind of taking it upstream, so to speak, going a little bit further away from the end consumer use case and getting involved with some of the actual chip making and maybe even some of the materials sourcing and design itself? Definitely, Nick. I, I, I want to say I have definitely thought about it, right? And and the ones that usually come up to my mind first are, are the last two you mentioned, uh, Cadence and Synopsis, uh, because kind of in my engineering time, um, those were two that I, I was familiar with, right? Maybe not familiar with using them, but definitely familiar with at least with names or some of my peers maybe uh, kind of designing through them. Uh, so, so those are the ones that I kind of think about when, when, when kind of thinking of still being in the semiconductor market, but kind of having some other form of diversity outside of it. The other one, Snake, I, I, I wouldn't say I haven't really thought about too much. Um, obviously, I heard about all these companies that deal with the material side, uh, but I, 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 I don't know why. It just I, I haven't really kind of taken the time to grab more more information on them. Um, what I tend to do, I don't know if it's up, if I tend to go more downstream or sidestream, but what I, I enjoy a lot, Nick, um, is looking at all these kind of companies that provide like AMD and NVIDIA that provide these solutions and try to see who are companies that are, especially with NVIDIA, right? Nick, NVIDIA has a lot of software solutions. They have all these mm -hmm. AI software solutions for, for natural languaging, natural language uh, for automation, robotics. 
and they tend to kind of do weekly weekly reports of certain companies that are using their software solutions to kind of create their own business. And those are the ones I kind of have been looking at. Uh, one that I've owned for, for numerous years, um, I, I believe it's been numerous years, is a company called Sorrents. And they are a company that deals with artificial intelligence communication in the vehicle market. And hmm. they tend to use, they're partnered with NVIDIA to kind of use their other kind of NVIDIA drive software solutions uh, that kind of help with that. So when I, I, I tend to look at those companies instead, so I, I, again, I think that's maybe more downstream to kind of unfortunately look more in the consumer point. Uh, but I do believe I should start looking at maybe if I don't look at individual companies, maybe start looking at more other kind of ways to get into the semiconductor market without kind of getting into those big players um, or, or just a full solely uh, chip companies instead. Well, you know, Jose, I think the downstream focus, you know, who's creating the solutions for the actual end consumer uh, is where the biggest money is like where the most money will be made. Uh, you look at like the largest market cap companies around Apple, Amazon, Google, they've all built their businesses off of that. They're kind of like a downstream business. And so if you're looking at kind of more upstream, the more behind the scenes type of businesses, um, I, I think the key factor here is it, it's not necessarily going to be the highest growth businesses or the highest growth sub industries that we're looking at. But for me, it comes down to like, how will I effectively diversify my portfolio? And what I mean by that is not just adding in stocks to my portfolio just for the sake of adding in more stocks, but who is going to capture some extra growth when maybe Nvidia is in a cyclical slump, like right now, for example, so that my portfolio is kind of always getting someone kicking in some growth somewhere and kind of keeping things moving forward, making positive progress. Does that make sense? It, it, it makes perfect sense, Nick. And, and I definitely, after this, um, maybe we can even do a few episodes or maybe just in our individual shows, we just come in and do like a few, a few kind of deep dives on some of these individual companies. Like I said, Cadence and Synopsis, at least for me, are on top of my list. But again, that's they're on the top of my list because those are the ones I'm more familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm pretty sure if I, I've learned a little bit more about these companies like you have, uh, like AR Products, Advanced Energy, I'm pretty sure I would get excited about how they're kind of hitting the semiconductor market. And also, most likely, their financials are pretty strong to kind of be able to, like you mentioned, while some of these, maybe if when we have these cyclical markets on these high growth stocks, we tend to kind of have that kind of peace of mind in these other companies out here before we go any further make sure to hit the thumbs up as it does help us grow our overall audience also don't forget to hit the subscribe button and let's take a quick listen to today's sponsor i do want to thank the motley fool for sponsoring this video and make sure to check out fool.com slash jose to get the top 10 stocks to buy right now also if you want to learn more about nick make sure to check out his youtube channel the link is down below yeah absolutely um so one more question here, and then maybe Jose weigh in on this, but it, it was kind of something I thought of for listeners in particular. Um, if, if any of you out there are invested in these companies or maybe companies like them, um, if there's interest in more coverage 
of kind of these adjacent businesses. But specifically, I guess the question that I'd, I'd kind of like feedback on is what is it about these businesses that are exciting? Uh, what qualities are investors looking for in businesses like this uh, when they're choosing stocks to add to their portfolio? What is, what is it about these businesses? So like, you know, NVIDIA, AMD, pretty obvious, right? Like it's just super exciting, real world applications and solutions that, that we all can immediately put to use in our lives. Easy to get excited about those. But when we mention a company like Albemarle, for example, for example, okay, they produce lithium. Uh, <laughs> what qualities specifically about that business do investors need to know about to get to kind of stoke up, fire up some interest in in, in investing in them? That's that's my that's my question. I want some feedback on. Definitely, Nick. I, I would definitely want to hear from the viewers as well to see, a, 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 like, like you mentioned, probably that might also trigger some answers that I might have not thought about. Um, and I think this is perfect with you mentioned earlier, Nick, that um, one of the topics that I, I kind of was thinking of discussing in this episode was data center cooling. Um, and I, I think this is very, very important. We're going to kind of save this for for next week episode, hopefully, uh, especially if we get some feedback here on the comments from the viewers. But the data center market is one that we think about it from from the chip side, right? All how how cool mm -hmm. or how how performant, how impressive and how strong these performance chips are. But one thing that's really affecting these data center markets are the cooling process. And we know there there's a lot of companies out there that are kind of creating some of these cooling solutions for the data center market. I know we're going to talk about it later on next week, most likely. Uh, but even some of these data center infrastructures, they're even thinking of because they're spending so much money on cooling that they might kind of increase the temperatures of their data center sensors to maybe still be in that safe level, mm -hmm. but it, it would help them kind of reduce some of their costs. So there's definitely a huge issue here with data centers, not just in the kind of chip performance, but stuff outside the chip performance, just like cooling itself. I'm pretty sure per, uh, pa powering um, data centers itself is probably another market. Uh, the construction of data centers themselves might be another market in, in general. Uh, so I think next week, um, if we take a closer look at some of these adjacent companies, I want to see more of, of discuss a little bit more about the cooling side uh, for data centers. Nice. My interest is peaked. Can't wait for next week. <laughs> Thank you for that, Nick. And I think that is it for episode number 10. That's crazy. 10 episodes here, Nick, um, with wow. Semiconductor Investing and more. I just want to say thank you, Nick, for all the support and all the great kind of knowledge you share to me and the viewers. Um, I, I, you, I'm pretty sure you're the favorite around here, Nick. I, I see a lot of great comments uh, on, on your side. I don't see that many nice comments on, on my side. I'm here just fishing. <laughs> I'm fishing. I'm fishing this episode, Nick. Um, oh, I, everybody give Jose some love. This is, <laughs> this is his baby. It happened because of Jose. <laughs> so thank you, Nick. And I'll see you next week for another episode. So take care.